Ollie Whitfield leads demand gen at VanillaSoft, where he's been for about three years now and crushing it every quarter. In addition to his work at VanillaSoft, he also co-hosts the Zero to Five Million podcast. I've been a big fan of Ollie's content for years and had to bring him on to talk to us about what's really working in 2023 in terms of demand gen and growth marketing. In this episode, we cover a whole host of topics, including uh, digital marketing, AI, better ways to run and promote webinars, and how to use email frameworks over email templates. This is one of those tactical discussions that you'll be able to walk away with immediately and start using some of the actionable insights. Now, a quick note, before I play the interview, I want to apologize in advance for my poor audio. I made the rookie mistake of recording this interview uh, with my laptop mic instead of the proper microphone that I should have used. So it might be a little echoey. Okay, everyone, this is a special episode. I have someone that I've looked up to for a long time. I have never met in person, but have been following on social for, for a long time. Uh, he is an expert growth marketer. He is a demand gen guru. He is a creative content king. He's crushing it quarter over quarter over quarter at VanillaSoft. Uh, Ollie, thank you for joining. Ollie Whitfield, thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me, dude. And I love that intro. If you want to, like, if you want to be my PR guy, hired on the spot. <laughs> there you go. I got to come up with those bars to introduce uh, our guest. But no, I mean every word of it. Definitely a demand gen guru in a, in a big way. You know, the relationship between um, the area that I specialize in, sales development and demand gen, that relationship, very special. You know, we're like best buds in the trenches. You know, we're our inbound models and what's served up to us as a sales organization highly depends on the efficacy of what you're doing at the top of the funnel in the demand gen realm. So uh, definitely looking forward to unpacking in this interview what organizations can do and ideas uh, for maximizing lead gen and pipeline development, that sort of thing. So I know you have a lot of uh, perspectives on this, uh, but before we jump into that, uh, for our audience, uh, something that I, I thought was interesting in our planning. So your last name is Whitfield, and you live in a small town called Whitfield there in England. I'm here in California for those that are uh, where it's like three o'clock in the afternoon for Ollie. It's six o'clock in the morning for me. But, you know, Whitfield it, from Whitfield, right? So is there any relation there with the family? With, with, that doesn't happen. I don't see that very often. Yeah, yeah. It's my village. Um, uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I wish it was. That would be really cool. It's one of those, like, I have a friend whose last name is Peters, and he lives in Peters Village, and I now live in Whitfield, and I, my name is Whitfield. Which <laughs> you guys is, are taking uh, over. <laughs> yeah, like, I wonder who's next, really. But um, no, absolutely no correlation. I moved here because the family are here, and uh, weirdly, my aunt and uncle, who are two minutes down the road they looked at a house on the on the plot that i'm now at and uh i was go. gonna buy one of their houses as a sort of means to get on the ladder and uh mm -hmm. it wasn't to be and they said you know what you should look at this place in, uh, in whitfield and i'm like sure and uh, and then ended up here the way i worked that would have been a total sign for me uh williamsville or williamstown for me would have been like oh yeah yep, that's where i'm i don't care how long the commute is i'm, I'm meant to be there <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did think on the day I bought the place on my way down. But, you know, when you've got the ribbon to cut on the door and all that kind of stuff, I did think in the like hype of I did it. I finally did it. Today's the day. And you, you drive around, and you think this is where I live now. It's, <laughs> it's me. It's yeah. my name. It was very strange. Yeah. King Ollie Whitfield in his town of Whitfield. Um, very good. Well, how far is Whitfield out, out of like London? I think for those that are not familiar with the region, um, you know, are you pretty close or about an hour and a half and if you looked at a map we're pretty much on the tip of where calais and dover the ports are together that's sort of the mm. most people in england would know where dover is just because it's always in the news there's always uh 
queuing and problems with the ferries and all that kind of stuff over the okay. front. So it's but about an hour and a half, two hours. Copy. All right. Well, I've made it to London once and uh, didn't get out to Whitfield, but definitely uh, love. It's where the party's at, man. We've got a McDonald's. We've got a superstore. That's <laughs> it. it. <laughs> Sounds like my small town, Turlock, here, uh, where I live. It's a pretty small town. It's like 40,000 people. So, uh, cool. Well, uh, let's talk demand, Jen. Uh, the, the first question I, I want to ask you is about inbound models, inbound uh, marketing. So do you think we're in trouble at all with inbound marketing? It's getting harder to target people and to garner attention. Um, it's getting more expensive. You manage a budget for, you know, Google advertising, SEO, and et cetera. So uh, is it it's getting more expensive? It's getting harder to target and garner attention. Do you think, you know, all these companies that rely on inbound sales models, uh, are they going to have an awakening in the near future? Is this going to be something that we're going to have to pivot from? Or is there some, you know, solution on the horizon that's going to make this, uh, bring it back to being what it used to be, if you will? I don't know. Good question, though. Um, it's sort of a long-term thing. I can see mm -hmm. that there's um, there's so many people in, in business now. There's like a bigger population in the world that's just going to happen. There's more people who work. Um, there's so much bad practice. There's so many people who are just power to them, just not that good at stuff, and they're doing good in their business somehow or another, and um, they stay afloat, and that works for them. But you know, if if I'm uh, not that good at whatever I do, and and I have six clients, well, that's six companies who aren't probably going to do that brilliant, and that's more prevalent than you think. And it's not to say that there's no good work out there. There's so much of it. Right, but I think right. it's just a bit of a shame that you know that's um that's quite common and that holds a lot of people back and particularly like uh, in in companies that you might work with and some that i've worked with it's those things which um they start to build like a bad feeling of well you know that marketing team kind of sucks and we're like on our own over here mm -hmm. and that's like so common yeah, and that yeah. just makes everything harder from that point so yeah and uh, and with that i can sort of see a little bit of let's strip things back let's you know, do we need to do that extra channel? Do we need to do the extra project? Could we do 20% better with the same uh, bandwidth and resources on one project if we did a big deep dive on it? Probably. Right. And, and would that be worth it? Let's, I think, sort of the VC model of cash to burn, do something with it. Spray it out. Something's going to hit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not always bad. Obviously, there's a lot of companies who have done very, very well from that. But mm. it's not the healthiest practice, sort of holistically, I, I would say. Well, what's your take on the AI component of that? You're talking about creating, you know, some good work. Uh, a lot of the work that's going to get created, you know, in the coming years is going to be generated by artificial intelligence. Uh, and I would imagine you're probably looking at ways to, you know, double down on your content creation uh, as well. Do you think that's good for us long term? Uh, do you think that's, I mean, in the short term, obviously, it's going to make our lives easier as sellers, marketers, demand gen folks. Um, it could make us more effective as well uh, to a degree, but do you, because it's going to be at such an accelerated rate and everybody's going to be doing it, is it going to kind of, in some ways, do you think it might work against us if we're generating so much new content uh, on all these different channels at such an accelerated pace now that we have these AI models that can fuel it? Uh, there's already so much out there anyways, that right, it's, right. that's the sort of danger of it. So for instance, it's very applicable almost immediately to have 
more blog posts, for example, as a marketer, you could just say, chat GPT, write me a blog post about how to ABC, thousand words, whatever you want. That These six headings, these keywords, this tone, what you can do whatever, and it will spit something out. And I would assume over time that will become more the case and it'll become better. And people will do that, which is fine if you're doing a lot of SEO, but there's already so much. Like my LinkedIn feed does not ever end. You cannot reach the bottom because there isn't one. So let's add dumpster fire of gasoline on top of that mm-hmm. i don't think i don't think we need that but what it can do and what i've seen some people start to do the very very beginnings of it um in my room right now it's like 2 p.m sunny day it's it's kind of dark because i've tinted the uh, the blinds down i've got a little bit of shadow i've got my lights on here not that you can really tell or maybe my audio is a bit scratchy if i look this way maybe the audio goes a bit less quality it can improve my audio it can improve yeah. my background Mm-hmm. It can do a lot of things like that without really you having to do too much. Even just you run it through a tool and it does it. Right. That's right. it. So there's things like that. There could be like, like with these episodes, for instance, being able to cut out the ums and the spaces when I'm editing my clips, you know, which I do myself. It, it, I think about that as well as I need to be putting this through an AI engine that can cut this up, you know, Descript or, you know, some tool like that that can automate that. So definitely from that standpoint, uh, making us more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of it. Like if you think, say your podcast, you're on YouTube, there's plenty of the audio of your voice talking. And you said a lot of words, you said probably a vast percentage of the dictionary barring the random ones, uh, at least several times, it, it could repeat you so easily. Well, if you think, um, I remember one of the first ones I ever saw was a deep fake of a Joe Rogan podcast. Obviously, he's probably one of the best people on earth to create in this kind of sense, because there's so much of his content. But even me, I've done loads of podcasts. I've done tons of webinars. I've on loads of videos. It could easily just take a bunch of me talking and spit out something that looks and sounds dead like me. Right. What's the need for me anymore? One episode, even you wouldn't even need the the, the bulk of them. Yeah, you know, there was one um, uh, platform. I think you just you send a thirty minute script and you read for thirty minutes in a script. You send it in, and then it can basically emulate you in any context. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah. We've even thought about it. I've like had the idea. We we sort of decided to veto it internally. It was, you know, what if and people have done this on TikTok and gone like stupid viral? What if we got like Tom Cruise to write a cold email to me? That would be a super funny LinkedIn video, wouldn't it? Yeah, or exactly. you know, if we got Morgan Freeman to cold call me, especially with his voice, that would be so <laughs> yeah, great. Right. Yeah. But like, where's that ethical line? So we we didn't do it. Maybe we will. Thanks for my brain for just giving that idea to everyone else. Right. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of things like that. There'll be novelty worthy things and um, I'm sure they'll they'll get burnt out fairly quick. But Well, I don't want to beat this too much, but you said an important word. You said ethical. And it reminds me of another discussion I had with another guest about the arms race, right? This, the, In some degrees, AI is like the new atom bomb, nuclear weapon within mm-hmm. our landscape of B2B or in business in general. And is not always good for business to that point, right? And so, but people and organizations that are trying to maintain an ethical front, maybe not are not adopting certain aspects of it to drive content creation or what have you, because of this, these belief systems that we have as an organization. But not every organization has those beliefs and has those lines, and so they'll push the envelope, which and in turn does that then force the company that was holding the ethical line to say, you know what, maybe we could push, we can push the envelope as well. So it becomes this, everybody arms is, is arming up with this, this tool. And it's, 
that's where I go with it is like, is this really good for us long term? I wonder where the regulation becomes and, and that sort of thing. That's a whole separate AI episode, but I feel like it's at the center of a lot of discussions that we're seeing today in this pivotal transformative time that we're in right now with it affecting every area of every business. The time to worry is if you're like a executive assistant, something like that, where mm. I forget the name of it. That there was one years ago. It's probably better now, but there was a I got an email from someone booking to go on their podcast and they said, arrange it with whoever it's like a female name. And that was AI. And I didn't know until mm. afterwards I'd heard of it again. And uh, that was all right. You could kind of tell it was a bit offbeat. It kind of said things that didn't sound sort of like the flow of the conversation, but it, it was workable. Mm. But, you know, now that could be completely gone. But for a, for a salesperson or, or a marketer, just lean into it. I mean, you're you're in no danger, in my opinion, for at least some time. Right. Like the ones who would do better, they'll just get quicker and eliminate some stupid stuff that they don't want to do. And the rest, of the, the rest of the stuff they do, they'll do as they did. Right. Okay, cool. Well, very enough. I, I appreciate that. Let's switch on to a topic that I know is pretty near and dear to your heart and to mine as well as working with SDR teams, one of the most important plays that we run in combination with our demand gen brethren in our, our webinars, right? The leading up to the webinar, driving traffic, I mean, um, seats and attendance to the webinar, um, after the webinar, doing the follow-up on what we hope to be good leads um, but you have a particular viewpoint on how webinars are conducted, uh, generally speaking, traditionally, if you will, and how they might need an overhaul. Can you kind of just give us your your viewpoint on that? You were sharing me what you share with me in planning. Yeah, well, like I've in my agency days, I saw so many webinars that I'm just overexposed to this. So if it sounds extreme, it's because I've had too many experiences of of watching and planning these things. And you get to learn quickly what annoys you about it, what's good or, or what's not too bad or what could change. So in three, four, five years of like seven webinars a month across a few different companies and what guests do we have on and how do we format it and what deck do we have, what talking points. Oh my God, it gets so boring. So boring. <laughs> and I don't even watch webinars at all, ever, because I'm so like burnt out of, apart from recording them, which I really find quite good fun. I don't. So um, I'm not exposed to other people's too much, but you can always tell from the like way that people promote it, they're still doing the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Normally, one person who's like the marketer or the sales leader or whoever the like forefront spokesperson is for a company, they're the host slash insight giver as well. Right. Someone else comes on, probably some, you know, like a sales trainer type of thing or another respected someone person. Someone following, someone that can yeah. bring a drawing, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's never not someone who's got a following. Doesn't matter if they're stupid or clever, they've got a following, we can use that. This is why I never get invited. <laughs> well, me either, really. My following's not too cool. So, you know, I'm, I'm working on it, but yeah, yeah. there you go. That's, that's how it goes. But what they do is they just open up and they say, hey, Derek, so here today, we're, we're going to talk about SDRs and uh, how to make them succeed give an overall broad tip and then what they do is you'll do that we'll go through three or four talking points that are kind of like fairly obvious that beforehand any of the audience could have guessed make sure you on a list LinkedIn. of one to ten <laughs> yeah like we could have got there if it was on family feud they probably cleared the board type of thing <laughs> yeah. no no big deal and then you just like in a medley throw things out and it's not it's not that useful it's just especially when you add two or three other guests if you disagree with someone, there's not enough time for it to happen because we've got to have person C talk and then we've got to move on. 
yeah there's no there's no no debating no yeah no alternative viewpoints you you called it the agreement fest (laughs) in our planning i thought that was funny yeah well when have you ever seen a proper disagreement that actually had weight to it well, i don't know ollie I, I i i i'm just kidding I, yeah no honestly i've been on i those... was ready for it then i was so <laughs> ready <laughs> no i i i agree with you 100 uh i've been on those shows i've been in those planning sessions where we're setting up the talking points and the whole nine i've administered those conversations on on stage and it's you're right it is that's a really good point let me add to what you're saying let's double click on that and um I think it would make for a better, more informative discussion if there was alternative viewpoints, right? And you see that in other realms. I don't have an example that comes to mind, but when you have maybe in politics, I guess, is one where you have someone who has one viewpoint and they're strong, they feel about, and then you have someone with a polar opposite viewpoint, and then you have a good you know, episode to to talk through. So is that what the the new approach or I mean, I'm sure there's more to it, but is that one of the components to a revised or evolved approach to webinars? Yeah, boiling it down, something like that, although a little bit uh, the funny said politics, that was the first thing I thought of the politics shows over here. Awful in England, but it's just like shouting at each other and disagreeing for no reason. But in a simplified way, Yes, though it doesn't have to be polarizing opinion. It can be right. a different angle, different experience. Right. So for instance, if you were to break out a the same SDR webinar we sort of jokingly came up with there, uh, if you were to devise it down to three topics, we're going to say good SDRs get onboarded well is maybe one of the topics. So I'll bring on the first guest for 15 minutes of my 45-minute show is an onboarding discussion going deep and narrow with that one person who's got something interesting to say about that. Then 15 minutes, thank you, Mr. Guest, number one, off you pop. And then number two comes out, and it's about their continuous professional development and how they go about that and how their company helps them go about that. Guest number two comes out with a particular experience and a few stories about that, deep and narrow on that again. And you can guess what happens in the third one. I like to do that. I think if I sit there and listen and it's the same three people going, yeah, and you you absolutely crushed it a second ago when you said let's double click on that i love what you said about this i hate it when people <laughs> say that stuff it's so like oh insert another way to transition me into talking now <laughs> right yeah i love cool. that Derek. that was so great and oh, i really agree oh god can Let we just give it a break <laughs> it's terrible and people like people know that it's like when you get uh like in the corny sales emails you get, I hope you're staying well and staying negative or whatever it is. The yeah, COVID I hope this too well as Lavender likes to tout. <laughs> yeah, the, people yeah. people see those phrases and they're like, oh, whatever, man. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things. So I like to break it up. You hear a different voice every now and then. People True. stay. We yeah. go deep and narrow. And hopefully your notes so, are a bit more extensive than just like you and me and someone else throwing stuff up about the same points. And probably we're going to like overlap significantly because we haven't really gone deep enough. Yeah. And some of that has to do with the fact that once you have established a following, it's like a celebrity effect. You can kind of get away with doing anything, right? Your people will show up and you will have attendance, right? You'll have 400 people that will, you know, attend that live webinar uh, that, for that for that one shot in the arm. But will the leads be the leads that you want to go after? Or are these just people who are part of, you know, they're, their audience who are trying to learn from the content they're generating as a thought leader, as opposed to those executives, those revenue leaders that may might be able to convert, right? Uh, so I think that's 
kind of goes along with with the challenges there is like it's great that you can have these figureheads bring people but is it the right audience that we're, we're bringing in and that was the other thing I know you're um in a lot of ways you were saying you're planning that the approach to promoting the webinars you know pre during after all of that uh is to you you've been doing it for a long time and pretty pretty simple but you had mentioned about um like writing promotional emails storyboarding um how many times to post these sorts of things so you, you sounds like you have a pretty thought out process to promote a webinar so if you and I were going to do one like you just described together can, if, for those that are listening that aren't really um or maybe they're planning their first webinar what are the high points there like can you kind of break down what that plan looks like with I mean I'm sure it's probably pretty detailed but in general how does one drive an effective uh, attendance for a live webinar? Basically, the easiest thing to do is take out the points that you're going to talk about and do one thing per thing. For instance, three talking points is it could potentially be three posts, three emails, three different types of ad, insert whatever thing you've got available to you. Three podcasts, you go on to talk about something else. Not the best one, but you know you, you can mm -hmm. see the logic. Yeah. So if I have the, the, the SDR idea webinar again, Email one about it, if I'm doing three, could be the onboarding stuff that the subject line reflects um, SDR onboarding tip with a fire emoji or something. And when I click on that, the link is, we're going to talk about all of this stuff, which heavily includes the thing that we talked about in the subject line. Then we have a certain creative or certain imagery that we have in our ads. Maybe we make a quick promo video, like we get on a, a prep call, you and I go, hey, Derek, give me a one fire SDR onboarding tip. And then you give me 30 seconds of fire and then we clip that and that's a post and that's a talking point about topic okay. number one mm -hmm. same thing around and around for for each of the talking points it, it doesn't have to be so much work and um my sort of guilty thing that i've done so many times is i've got this idea let's how do we do this rather than just what best can we make of this stuff because without having to work hard again think of anything we're already doing this we've already planned it we've already thought about it let's just how do we regurgitate across different things? Right. Could be a LinkedIn slider if you want to be a popular, cool person. Go for you. Um, if you want to do a video, if you want to do a text post, you can do so many different things. So picking out your channels and really depends on who you're trying to target. So I'll leave that alone. But yeah. you really don't have to work harder than what three, four, five, twenty things are we going to say? Got it. Yeah, I think um, trying to get people in seat for the webinar is is key. Uh, means a lot for us on the SDR side is, you know, shipping those leads afterwards. But, you know, talk about this promotional forever concept, right? It's not just promotion for one time. And that's how a lot of us think about these webinar strategies is let's get this webinar done and executed, and then we'll move on to the next webinar. And then, you know, and I, I'm guilty of this with my episodes, even, you know, if I look at my first five episodes, my first 10 episodes, I'm not doing a good enough job of recycling that content. I mean, each one of these episodes is an hour. There's all sorts of clips there. And I'm, I'm remiss in bringing them to the forefront and continuously promoting those episodes because those gems are still there. That content's still relevant and it can still be uh, generate interest and grab attention. So in from a webinar context, is that what you're saying as well? It's like finding once the webinar is done, you've ran the webinar doing the same thing that like you were talking about with prep is then cutting up those clips and then having some sort of ongoing six weeks down the road. We're still talking about it because you, you had talked about how how can we make it so that the webinar 
isn't dead after a week. Yeah, been very guilty of that. And probably 95% of people doing anything like that are too, and they haven't even thought about it really, which is a shame because you do all this work and this thinking and this prep and promotion, you write so much stuff and you post it and it's all good and it's all fun. And then the webinar happens and 45 minutes later, you're back to your normal life, which is a shame. And and then you hopefully you're looking at how to do a follow-up go and all that stuff, but it does die off. And there's one thing is saying it's now on demand or that's kind of the done phrase to say uh, it just means it's available forever. You go to the website and you can find it. You can watch it at any point. That's standard. Very easy to do. Most of the time you just change a link or change an image. No, no one sort of has a problem with that. How much does that really do though? Not a great deal unless you've got massive, massive traffic coming to your site. Like if you're salesforce.com, you could probably get a lot of people come watch it without doing anything. Mm. That's not the case for most people though. And especially if you're not getting like a million visits a week on your on your website. So how do you do it? Well, a lot of people, they just make clips. So like for a podcast, you just, that was a good point. And we'll take that and we'll put that on social media. Social media has kind of um, had a weird downturn particularly LinkedIn. I think most of us would agree you've had like a struggle to hit the reach you could get a while yeah. ago. Yeah. I don't know why that, why that happened. I think they've really cottoned on to the link in the comments idea. It was don't post the link in uh, in the post because that gets significantly less reach. So now Guilty. put it in the comments and then it will work. Well, it doesn't so much anymore. And, and like me promoting my own things, you promoting your podcast, I'm sure that we've all seen that. So that's, right. that's a shame. So, um, so you're saying the algorithm is has been adjusted to some degree and is no longer favoring things like LinkedIn comments, but there's other facets. It's just in general, you're seeing, um, you know, less engagement when you would bring, you know, a, a figurehead audience, a, a thought leader into a webinar, for instance, it's like, it's, it's less than it was before. Is it saturation uh, as well? Do you think? Yeah, a little bit. I'd say we could probably get, round numbers 30 percent of what we could get before just from mm. direct social promotion only wow. and uh, and that's you know whatever influencer in their crowd if they did the same post on the same time and day now versus a year ago it's just that much different and uh that's a shame i get they like a linkedin particularly they don't want you to leave the platform right makes sense uh people are kind of abusing it as a link in a comment it's not really like if you think of how to use linkedin that's probably not the best way to do it is it but it was a workaround, so definitely. And what that means is we've um, we've pivoted quite significantly in the past few weeks where uh, we're sort of experimenting with it and seeing how we go. But mm. it's going to be more, instead of here's a good point that Derek made on that webinar about SDRs, it's going to be more like what we're we talking about in September and what is that topic and hopefully we solve a pain point about it. But what things do we have in our catalog and, and many sub-layers to that that we could reuse and put out associated to that so for instance if sdr month was september just to pick that example back my um my google sheet internally which is super ugly and archaic and terrible if i've got the sdr webinar that we did with you and i know the three subtopics were a b and c i know there's probably a good clip in there if i'm looking for related stuff so it's just about i, I read through my menu like i'm trying to pick a meal and i go I wanted that and I want that and that to use in my campaign. And then the campaign is whatever are we going to do? Is it a series of blogs? Is it a PR post on some big website like Forbes? Is it two webinars and three eBooks and 
an email nurture campaign and some ads and or what of all of the things that marketers can do right. that that's my that's our now how do we reuse stuff because it's, then it's sort of part of a piece of a puzzle that builds a bigger picture rather than like come to the webinar again we want more <laughs> webinar views at least like in that situation it translates to something more like i, I can only hear derek's insights so many times that in that recording <laughs> we only <laughs> need one clip and that's it never use it again right so if i'm understanding the idea is clipping together uh topics from different episodes different webinars this sort of thing if uh social selling was a topic we would pull those clips those segments from the five interviews where we touched on social selling, put them together into one piece. And then you have the content plan that you talked about, you know, two blogs, two videos, and, and a couple ads, right? And that's the, the recipe or some version of that. Once you've stitched that piece together, that sort of anchor flagship piece, now you have a way to promote it and get the, the content in a diversified manner. It's not just recycling one episode or one event webinar it's a multitude exactly that yeah you've got the three times the experts mentioned their linkedin profile in the podcast so that's the three experts downloadable checklist of profile setup which could be one of the multi-pronged um entry points to your little campaign mm -hmm. and then after they've got that first piece then they might get the you send them the link to the four podcasts about how to use linkedin polls in your outreach or the next one could be about how to twitter dm appropriately or you know you go and going from each one it can be different types of content but rather than making new stuff you already have it roll it together in a different way it doesn't have to be quite as simple as that but if you've got a catalog and a menu to do that from at least you can pick it out and that's the and key is, your flavor. is creating that catalog because uh you know i have show notes and different things but you know you would need to be very uh, copious about uh, tagging or, you know, tracking attributes of conversations in order to have that catalog. So you can say, hmm, let me scroll. Yeah, let's pull that one, let's pull that one. And then now we have the three or four pieces that we want to, the, to pull together. So uh, it goes to the organization of your content as well. So those that are on the sales side, uh, I hope you can gain a greater appreciation for the level of uh, detail and organization and creativity that our demand gen brothers go into because you know, that pipeline, those opportunities you're working on, which probably half the time are driven from an inbound model, it, it, there's a lot of work that goes into that. And we have to, I think, uh, you know, if we want to be great sellers, we have to really understand the marketing side of it really well in this in this modern age. Um, one of the areas that I know from a demand standpoint that you do a lot of is email as well. And one of the conversations you had, an interview you had with uh, David Delaney 10 Bound, on the 10 Bound podcast, really stood out to me and I'll be honest with you, helped shape an area of my SDR training. And that was when you were talking about frameworks over templates. Uh, we all have a sales engagement platform. Uh, Vanilla Soft, I'm sure, uh, has a, a template uh, or template options built in as, as well. So we're all familiar with the concept of templates. And I think to your point in our planning, that's usually what gets handed out and shared most often, or here's a template that's working for me, try it out. But your, your viewpoint is if people can get accustomed to leveraging frameworks, we can get more 
dynamic in our in our messaging and probably more effective in our messaging as well. But what do you mean by you know more frameworks, less templates? Well, a template is literally a tactic in practice. Nothing more than that, particularly, at least for the most part. A framework is like using a stencil or putting yourself in a box. And uh, if, if if I said to you, write a blog post about something, you'd struggle to come up with a topic because it's far too big. I've, yeah. I've given you nothing. You've got no idea what to come up with. If I tell you, come up with a blog post about how to use AI as a sales rep, super narrow, you're able to go and make a start. Your, your creative intuition is going to kick in a little bit at that point. So in the same way, a framework is less is more. If you're told, here's roughly what it's got to look like and how to structure everything, your creative muscle starts to flex itself and it says, okay, I've only got a sentence to do the value prop. How quickly can I do it? Or it's got to reflect this personalization I did prior to that. How do I bend and knit the two together? Or the call to action's got to knit in a piece of personalization again. How do I do that without it sounding stupid? All of those things come to mind very quickly. And and of course, as well, my massive weakness as a SDR, as a salesperson, I kind of write for me and, you know, make no bones about it. I'm 26 today. When I was 19, I didn't sound like any of my buyers. Let's just be real about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm an English dude trying to sell to like American 45 year olds, something like that. They don't sound like me. And I'm pretty jovial, casual sounding. They're probably a bit more serious than that. A bit more hard nosed and business numbers and things. So I had to try and really adjust my tone my length of email my mediums my formats i'd never do a video for example i just wasn't very comfortable at that age i now am i don't care but i'd never do one maybe at that point if the frameworks or the the cadence i was doing went through several frameworks i'd have done it because it said this one it's not got too much meat to it it's kind of middle of the cadence we know it's probably lesser likely to convert that's why we put a video in this one not the first one yeah sure i'd have done it or uh the last email was a throwaway shot to nothing. We'll put a stupid GIF in it. I never thought of that because I didn't know to do it. So the frameworks, if you've if you've got some good ones or if you know, like I'm going to try and use these two or three to help me write most of my emails, mm-hmm. they at least give you that box to kind of live and breathe in rather than like you're in the wilderness just looking around and grabbing stuff. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like going grocery shopping on an empty stomach with no list. Where do you start? And no budget. Yeah, and no budget. <laughs> So uh, a framework that I think is pretty common that uh, I know you've talked about and most that I've been emailing for a while are, are familiar with. It's a standard transit uh, setup with some linkage, but problem, agitate, solution, PAS. And so for those that are maybe new to the idea of using uh, email framework, the idea is that uh, you can imagine an outline on your screen you're going to write and you have sections where you're kind of being prompted to fill in that section so the top section would be the problem what's the problem that you've observed what's the uh, issue that you are familiar with that's common to that persona or if you know that person is struggling with a particular problem that you can help with even even better but opening with with the problems this is a framework you're familiar with and you've used i imagine as well right holly yeah yeah that's one of the five that um, i spoke to mr delaney about so uh, I, I know pas fairly well well the a is honestly my favorite part that's why i picked this framework because it's uh it's, it's, what is a in the pas framework 
agitate so um make the first part of the email worse basically uh you've got to be really good with your messaging now you've got to know because there's no trigger event or there's no personalization point in this which grabs the relevancy mm. if you're wrong this is deleted point blank don't be wrong you have to know the persona you've got to be like pretty sharp on your targeting otherwise this ain't going to work at all the agitate is just where it becomes a bit more fun though it sounds a bit uh you know dark but um if, if you know the problem <laughs> that's the fun part yeah so something like if, if you're talking to a sales leader have you ever wondered why one rep books more demos compared to the others there could be other problems there could be more sharp pain points but if i'm a sales leader that's probably quite annoying bit of a head scratcher yeah i did wonder that and you know knowing the persona that's probably accurate in some level so to go further and you do have to disarm this a little bit and then you agitate it i like to say something like in my experience or in our experience or what we are seeing means like i don't know how you feel about this but most people say other ceos that i talk to that's kind of like wishy-washy yeah i'm not everybody else you talk to yeah yeah like oh cool you talk to so many ceos you must be so impressive right i I don't that doesn't do anything to me no sarcasm there at all i love to say like i see i experience right i have found and that then you can say no you're wrong i don't see that and that's fine or you can say yeah i kind of see that too it's like a a way of softening and then you go and make it worse you say it's because they're not disciplined and you hit them with like a punch right in the jaw and you say it's because your reps aren't disciplined that's from my agitation statement Mm -hmm. yeah but you've softened it by saying it's not because yours aren't it's because what i've seen this is universally the case most of the time may not be for you but it might be think about that already they've gone yeah actually jenny's like crushing it and gary's not like is is it is he disciplined is she and then you've already gone through that and you can carry on and you can sort of add a secondary point to really pummel that home you can say but it's because they're not following up on all of their leads the same and what happens to those leads and what a waste of time and money. And you've just gone from like level one to like, if you know, inception, like level three or four inception type thing, it's right, fairly quickly right, right. and sort of dramatically, you can go like over the top a little bit. We know it's a dramatized thing. It, it's a sales email. It's not going to be a hundred percent accurate, but that quickly, that fast. Right. I mean, and then you're, you're drilling down into the pain. You're pressing the bruise effectively with the agitation statement. Right. And it could be as simple as something like it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Um, and using your example or uh, that must suck. That must be keeping you up at night. Um, these these something that can really just uh, exag- exaggerate the, the pain that you, you expressed in the opening of the email. And then to your point, it naturally segues into some of the solution oriented talk track as well. So what about what's another framework that you that you think is cool and that someone would, would could use today uh not mine but i think um i think he took kind of took it down or he's changed it so sorry josh but josh braun has a quadruple t which i think is pretty good cool thing about most um most templates like pas there's bab there's loads of them you could kind of interchange the letters and make your own right there's nothing wrong with that it's most of them lack a trigger event of some kind so you could always add the t to your bab or whatever you want but uh but josh is it's basically a sentence per point here so it's trigger event third party validation teach them and tell them and the teach and tell is kind of where i've struggled to execute this particularly well but for an example case you might say um your sales team has grown since you took over as job title for instance just making anything up there 
and then your third party validation this is kind of where most reps go companies like hp and oracle and you're talking to a nine person company you know Read that type room. of thing come on know your audience yeah, like, yeah. Like at least close ish market wise or size wise that type of thing would be good so in my example i say gong and lead iq i know people both of those companies they're not competitors but we know each other and mm-hmm. i could call up people there and say hey like is that true do you work with them are they good and you know they could do the same if we were mentioned so i use them as an example you can do that it doesn't have to be um direct competitor you may not actually work with the direct competitor so that's not always applicable but um a bit of this third, is, the party third, validation. This is the third this is the third party piece in that's the, right the yeah, second that's, in the... that's the second line mm-hmm. and then as you go down it's teaching them so it's kind of like an illumination statement not a question it's more of that could be because and again sort of and like some the data previous point, email. some research study that touts x y or z mm-hmm. exactly that yeah it's a bit like the one before you kind of soften a little bit to say it could be wrong but here's what we say and then you kind of put forward your thesis as succinctly as you can and the last point is kind of this is how you learn some more it's basically the call to action but hey if if that did resonate then this is the direction to go come talk yeah, the email frameworks, I think, are honestly a game changer, particularly for those that are trying to up their email efficacy, getting more email replies uh, effectively. So uh, for those that are on the front line, SDR, salespeople, demand gen folks that are crafting emails to wide audiences, leveraging frameworks, right? We sit down with a canvas and we wonder what we're going to say. We might have some bullet points of what we need to weave in but how do we structure it where do we start and the frameworks really make doing that um, repeatable and remember the framework you use in email one may not be the email framework that you use in email five right diversify switch it up otherwise you get tuned out you get predictable and these sorts of things and um, one of the areas that I, I wanted to ask you about from the email standpoint though is the, the brevity drumbeat, right? So we have this framework now, we need to fill it in, but we only get 50 words supposedly. We only get maybe 75 words. We have to do the four word subject line, right? This is what we hear a lot. This is the drumbeat in social media uh, from friends, from people we know, and it does work. I've seen it and I do it and I teach it. So the brevity does work. Short emails, short to the point, you know, less is more, it works. It has its place, but isn't there still a place for more, I wouldn't say verbose, but maybe more lengthier emails, right? Um, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I, I hear a lot about the short emails, um, but I think there's a place, especially if you're using the storytelling framework, uh, especially if you've already spoken to somebody before, I think you, the, the door is open to those, those lengthier emails. So I get a little exhausted sometimes with a short email drumbeat yeah that's how things die out it's everything looks and sounds the same it is the same and i don't see it that's that's universal so the opposite of a good idea doesn't have to be bad so if short is mm. the new cool thing bad does not mean a long email sometimes and probably arguably any webinars i've done where i've asked name the top email writing people they've universally said this on my shows they normally show me a really long email as like their go-to thing. I'm like, that's so strange. All we talk about is short emails and do this and do that, but don't make it look like this. And then when they show me what they do, then that's not to call them up. They have very legit tactics that are very clever. 
but that's not what most people are sending it's kind of short emails are easy to read so that's probably good for everyone to yeah. do yeah but it if you're selling to us and all that yeah yeah literally but if you're selling to people who are like pretty highbrow then um that kind of thing is washable there's, there's sort of a bit of psychology going on i think it's like i cannot stand the red bull drink it tastes disgusting it's small and it's like expensive compared to other things that's why people buy it because you think you know what like, i gotta pay that much for it and it's not that big it must be bloody great and then they buy it and they drink it whereas the can of coke which is like a pound and it's kind of right not brilliant it's it's kind of unrewarding it's like throwawayable but that Red Bull, you're not throwing that away. You're drinking it. <laughs> Same type of thing. If you get this big, long email and it's like research to death and it's super obvious that it's for you only. Yeah. probably. That, there's the key, right? It's not the blanket wall of text talking about ourselves. That's not customized, not thought out. So there's the, there's the key is that if you punch it full of research and, you know, transitioning to the point, making it relevant, and it's all about them, uh it the longer emails do work even upfront early uh outreach absolutely yeah and sometimes uh to call out jen allen's one that she's uh, that she shared with me a lot of it was copy and pasting from uh, press releases she'd go to let's say a newly funded company a uh, big press release and she'd quote and say she's talking to the cro she quote the ceo's wording to say this is the things that we're going to do like a paragraph add a paragraph to any email you can consider it long if you add three lines of text to it, four lines of text, she's literally playing back their words to them. And you cannot disagree with it because it's hard text. And it's been said that type of thing. Um, nothing wrong with that. There. It's smart. Yeah. And you had to research it. Yeah. Uh, well, for those that are listening, who is Jen Allen as well? I think that might tie this together. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Uh, so at the time she was the challenger sale chief evangelist, and she's now doing something like that at Lavender. So, Funny timing, I had her on the week before she moves. So she was both at that time, but uh, but she's at Lavender now. We'll, we'll have to try and get her on the shows. But we had uh, William Balance on, but Jen, sounds like she'd be a great guest as well. Well, this has been a great informative discussion. If any of those folks out there, particularly like in a part of our audience are uh, sales consultants that are running their own consultancy. And I think trying to get our message out there, trying to be creative about how we great pipeline and lead gen for our own practices. There's a lot of things that we can take from this conversation just in that, because that's a big part of, of the audience. But for those revenue leaders that, uh, or those demand gen leaders, I hope that you've learned a lot today from our demand gen guru, uh, our content creative king, our expert growth marketer, Mr. Whitfield from Whitfield. Thank you for being with us. Where do you want to send people to, uh, to connect with you and to learn more? unfortunately i'll be like everybody else i'll say my linkedin profiles where i spend my time um some reason i don't get my notifications on it so you like you comment you, you anything i don't really know i have to check so send me a message it's probably the best way you've been listening to the sales consultant podcast if you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show please be sure to rate and review us on apple Podcasts and or on spotify please also consider following our linkedin page if you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show message us on linkedin at the Sales Consultant Podcast.